we're in a series called What Now? We're asking the question, you know, how can we thrive in uncertain times? Instead of just surviving, we want to thrive in certain times. And the first week, we pointed out the fact, or I, I give you some ideas on how to build healthy habits in your life that you can do now that will help you maintain consistency, just keep a, a, a general sense of, of, of mental health and stability. And last week, then, we looked about growing stronger faith. And I told you that last week, this, last week's message and this one are connected. And last week's message, we said there's kind of, there's this faith that surrenders to God, and then there's a faith that gets something done. And we're going to look at that today. But, but the big idea about faith is faith does not take into account the situation, the circumstances, or what one has on hand. In other words, the circumstance doesn't decide what God can do in our lives. The situation you're in doesn't decide that. Ultimately, God and his power does. The second thing is faith feeds itself to grow. We looked at that. You, you feed yourself on the word of God. If you're taking in a steady diet of mainstream media and the fear that's kind of coming out right now, I am quite certain your faith has aligned with that and you are very afraid because of what you believe. You can immerse yourself in the word of God in such a way that you can hear the word of the Lord, like he said to so many of his leaders in the Bible. He said to them many times, do not fear. Fear not. And those kind of statements, and as you immerse yourself in the word, that's what happens. The third thing is, faith surrenders to the Lord of the growth process. There are things that are out of our control, many, many things. In fact, most of things in life are out of our control. And you could surrender to Jesus Christ, to whom it's not out of his control. And you could trust him with your process. We're going to dive a little deeper into that today. And the fourth thing is, and the one we're going to look at today, is faith exercises itself to grow stronger. I'm going to talk to you today about exercising your faith. Exercise your faith. And I want to tell you a story about exercise. Uh, about, oh, golly, I want to say a decade ago, but it's probably like 15 years ago. I, I found this little gym in Lidditz. And uh, I hired a personal trainer. It's not a cheap endeavor. His name's Jason. And I hired Jason uh, to train me. Now, when I went to that gym, they assigned me a nutritionist who would help me uh, figure out my diet and how to eat in such a way that I could hit my goals. And then Jason would prescribe an exercise program for me that would also uh, help me hit my goals. And so he would put me through crazy exercises, some unique, some kind of standard fare, um, with one end in mind to help me reach the goal that I had set for myself. And um, when I would question Jason on, on why we were doing certain things, he would encourage me at times, just trust the process. Trust the process. When you're not seeing the results you want, when things aren't going the way you think they should in your exercise regime, trust the process. Now, this is part of his way of helping me grow through my limiting beliefs about the way my body works. In a similar way, Jesus, as Lord of our lives, has become our personal trainer. And he calls us to trust his growth process, even though we don't always personally enjoy it. And right now, with COVID-19 and what it's done and shutting down society, I, I think many of us, I don't like this process. I don't like, I don't like it, but I thank God for it. Do you understand the difference? I can thank God for things that I don't like. And God will use those things in my life even though I don't like it. The, the Bible's replete in, in the early church history of the early church pioneers preaching the gospel and being imprisoned. And like Paul and Silas in the midst of their prison, 
praising God in the midst of something that was horrific after a horrific beating, they began to sing praises and thank God. They weren't thanking God for the beating. They were thanking God in the midst of the beating that God was going to cause something good to come out of it. Why? Because they trusted the Lord of their growth process. And I want to suggest to you that we could do the same thing. And what Jesus is helping us do is helping us through our limiting beliefs, which in this case equals our spiritual strength. So I want to dive in today. I want to, I want to dive into a time when Jesus was training his apostles. Jesus, the trainer, was training his apostles. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It's an amazing story. We're going to spend pretty much the whole morning in these passages. Mark 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 12. The next morning, as they, referring to Jesus and the disciples, were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, did you hear that? Jesus spoke to a tree, people. May no one ever eat your fruit again, and the disciples heard him say it. Now, uh, the reason we're jumping to another passage is in between this moment and the next moment we're about to read, there's a bunch of other things that happen. Jesus goes to a temple. He flips over tables. He, he uh, calls people to make his house a house of prayer. And then they come to this next scene here in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree, Jesus had cursed. The disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. Okay, before I read anything else that follows this, when Jesus almost universally, if you study your Bible, when Jesus says, depending on your translation, says something like, truly, truly, I say to you, or I tell you the truth, <clears throat> generally speaking, he's about to say something that's pretty hard to believe for, for your average human. But he's saying, though it's hard to believe, listen, it's true. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. He's got a qualifier. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Now, I'm going to read the Matthew chapter 21. So Matthew, that was Mark. I want to read... Matthew's take on the same event, I'm just going to jump uh, into the middle of it because we already know the context, when they were blown away by the fig tree being withered. Then Jesus told them, <clears throat> I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this, and I listen to this qualifier or statement, and much more. You can do things like this and much more. Shoot, I just want to kill a tree. Hello? I just want to speak to a tree and go, you're dead, and it just goes, blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's, that's such a crazy statement. Not, not only can you do that, but much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown under the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you'll receive it. What do you think about that? That's heavy duty. It's heavy duty stuff. You know, I don't know if you ever saw uh, like old school, like I saw, I'm talking like the old black and white mafia movies. Now listen, I wasn't always raised in the church, all right? And I know some of you Christians are out there, you've already seen these things too, so let's just get past that. But 
But whenever a mafia leader would make a threat to another person, they would say something like this in their deep Italian accent with their little fedora on their, chewing on their little toothpick, you're dead. And they look at the person like that. Now, when they said, you're dead, that person wasn't actually dead yet, right? It was a threat of impending doom. He was basically speaking to him in faith that his words would be fulfilled. What does the mafia understand that Christians seem to be missing? You know what I'm saying here? Jesus said to a tree, basically, you're dead, and it died. Then he says, listen, we can do those things and much more. I'm going to dive into that in a, in a few minutes, but I want to look at one of the big ideas in this passage that will help us the most, and that's this. Mountains equals obstacles. When Jesus often would, he would make statements. Now, this wasn't a parable. He had just done something, and I'm assuming there was a mountain somewhere near there because he said this mountain. So he says, hey, you're excited about that? Look, if you even had a little bit of faith with no doubting, with none of that other stuff messing it up, you would say to this mountain, so he's pointing to some mountain, but I also think there was a symbolic representation of what he's trying to get at. And what I want to get at with us is, is mountains equals obstacles. And I don't know how you feel, but I feel like the circumstances that the world is in right now <clears throat> represents a pretty huge obstacle for business. It represents obstacles for relationships. It's been rep uh, it represents obstacles for people's mental health, forward-going progress, dreams and goals, vacation plans. It, it, it represents just a lot of obstacles. And even for the kingdom of God, we had to make major adjustments in Lifeway to begin to be able to do the stuff we do online, and so many churches have had to do the same thing. So the mountains equals obstacles, but here's the question. What do you believe about that mountain in your life? Can you or can you not do something about it? Because I think that's what the apostles were so amazed at what Jesus was saying. Jesus, their faith trainer, as it were, the author and finisher of their faith, was telling them they could do things that they perceived were impossible for them. Consider your own obstacles. Consider your own mountains. What if God allows obstacles or mountains in your life to train your faith, to make it stronger, so you could participate with him in bringing positive kingdom of, of God change in the world around you. So here's what would happen when I go to Jason. I would show up to Jason, my trainer, to work out. And some days he was there live with me. One day a week, I would work out with him live. The other two days a week, he had a written workout that I would do. But here's the bottom line. Jason had exercises that he would have me do. Many of them I didn't like, but when I would do them, the, I was definitely sore after doing them. I could tell that what I was doing was having an impact on my body. In the same way, Jesus, our trainer, I believe, write an writes an exercise program, as it were, for us. And I want to look at that today. I want to talk about exercising our faith. And I want to give you three exercises, as it were, that I think are from Jesus, right out of this passage, that we can and should do. The first is, to exercise your faith, you need to believe that the situation can and will change. That mountain, that obstacle can change and it will change. Let's talk about the can change idea on this. Um, uh, uh, last year around, well, a little before this time, probably around uh, Christmas, not this last one, but the previous one, I read a book 
called Extreme Ownership. And it was a, it's a book on leadership by a, a Navy SEAL commander. And in chapter two of the book, he begins to talk about there are no uh, bad teams, only bad leaders. Now, I'm gonna retranslate bad teams to bad circumstances because that's really what it boiled down to in the story. But the, here's how the story goes. Basically, one of the things they do when they go through their training, it's called Hell Week. These guys have had literally, by the time we get to this point in the story, these guys have been going three days physically taxing their bodies. They've had one hour of sleep. Then they enter into this crazy time of these boat races. These boat races are these kind of rubber uh, boat, pontoon type boats. They're lightweight, relatively speaking, but they can weigh up to a couple hundred pounds when they just by themselves. And then when you add sand and water, these things get heavy. And so they create these uh, teams. They'll have like, they had six boat teams in this particular training. They've already dropped a lot of the class who couldn't make it this far. And these guys, they would, they would, they would uh, order these teams by height. So they, they would all have to carry kind of the same amount of weight from the boat. And they have run around everywhere, walking everywhere with these boats over their heads. And usually they're just resting on your head or you're, if they got in trouble, they'd make them hold them over their heads till they smoked their arms and they couldn't do anymore. But during the boat races, uh, the, uh, the commander would come up. He would tell the officers that are leading each team, so the leaders of each team, here's what you have to do. You take the boat. You're going to run around this thing with the boat. You're going to get in the water. Then you're going to raft out over, over this wave or this. There's a marker out in the water. You're going to turn back around. You're going to bring the boat back in in these races. And then, you know, if the team that wins gets to take a break and the team that loses has extra exercise they have to do and the teams that are in between just have to go to the next race. Well, there were two particular teams that stood out for two different re reasons. Team number two was, was just amazing. They were winning. Uh, they were getting to take that extra break. They were flowing as a team. They were smiling at one another, which was highly unusual. And this time, nobody was smiling by this time, usually, said the person that wrote the book. Then he said, but team number six stood out for a whole other reason. They were losing over and over again. And they had gained all the attention of the officers uh, for their failure. And so they would call them on and say, hey, Captain, they'd call the officer, Captain, you better get your stuff together, sir. You better get your team moving, sir, or you guys are going to be, you're not even going to make it. And they threatened them with failing the, the SEAL training. And, and so finally, uh, this, you know, this one officer just kept making excuses. That team, unlike the other team that had great unity, this other team was fighting, bickering, blaming one another for what was failing, what was happening uh, in, in their races and why they were losing. And the guy, the commander that's running the event has this idea. Hey, I'm going to know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take each leader and see if that, trade their teams and see if that makes a difference. So I'm going to take the winning team leader. I'm going to put him on the losing team. I'm going to take the losing team leader. I'm going to put him on the team that's been in the lead. And here's what happened. They, the, the, first of all, the winning team leader didn't like his assignment. But again, this was his trainer's training for him. It was going to test his leadership and hopefully make him a better leader. And it was going to prove to the other leader, hopefully, that there could be a different outcome. Because up to this point, the losing team leader had a mindset, and that mindset was, my circumstance is my problem. This is the reason I'm not winning. If I had the same team the winning team leader had, then we would be winning. And so uh, that theory is about to get tested. They swap the team leaders. The winning team leader, they, they go out, they go through the whole uh, process. They get out over the water. They come back when the lights this night. It's, it's late at night. When the lights are shining out on the water, sure enough, the team that had been losing, boat number six, is now in the lead, pushing against team number two, which was, had been the previous leader, 
And, and that would go on the rest of the night where the losing team became the winning team. And what was the deciding factor? The leader. Well, what was the deciding factor in the leader? His faith that the circumstance can change. You know, it's an interesting thing uh, when you read the Bible. There's 5,000 people that have been, well, 5,000 plus their children and wives and whatever. 5,000 men, basically, and their families who've been following Jesus. <clears throat> the disciples have this great idea. Hey, Jesus, you need to send them away to go get some food. Jesus, unrelenting as their trainer, says, oh, no, no, no. We're not sending them anywhere. You give them something to eat. How many know that you got 5,000? You don't even have, like, and, and they're like, well, how are we going to do that? Jesus, what do we have on hand? I got like a few loaves and some fish and there's something in the perspective that looks at a circumstance and does not take into account what we would normally call practical details, Jesus says, is not a problem. In the same way that officer looked at his circumstance and said, my circumstance is deciding whether I win or lose, the other officer says, my faith in being able to whip this team into shape is going to de determine whether or not we're going to win or lose. And I want to tell you that in, in many of us, faith ultimately starts with mindsets, the things we believe. And here's the thing. I said, well, I said we, the first thing we need to do is we need to believe that our circumstance can and will change. See, it's one thing to believe that God can change. God can do anything. God can change my circumstance. But there's a wrestling match when it goes from can to will. Last week, I told the story about my brother-in-law and his uh, situation, we were playing half-court basketball. He went up to do a layup, came down. We were barefoot. He broke his ankle. It was big, puffy, red, ugly, uh, purple. It was like it went from a small ankle, he's a real skinny guy, to a grapefruit size, ugly ankle. And last week, I told the story about praying for him. And I want to re-highlight re that story to make this point from what can happen and what will happen. Because when Steve fell down and I, I prayed for him, we, we had, I gathered Lydia and her, her sister and my, now is my brother-in-law. I knelt down and we prayed, God, I said, Lord, you know, uh, I ask you to touch Steve, comfort him in his pain, and if it's your will, I ask you to heal him. And nothing happened. Nothing, listen, this is gonna be a hard statement. Nothing happened while I believed God could heal him. So I step back, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated kind of like many of us are. I step back and I'm angry at God. I'm like, God, why won't you heal him? Now, there's something embedded in that question. When you ask the question, why won't you fill in the blank for whatever God's doing? First of all, you are assuming something about God in that moment. You are assuming that you know what he will and will not do. Thankfully, God was gracious to me because he was teaching me a new lesson. I was just learning about healing and stuff that God even did this stuff. And I said, God, why won't you heal him? And he said, I will heal him. Okay, so God moved. God changed the, moved the circumstance, changed the circumstance from what God would do, or what I believe God could do, to what God will do. And what he will do was different than what I thought. And so when he told me what to do, I said, what do I do? And he said, go over to Steve. I went over to Steve. He said, put your finger right there. I put my finger right there because I just somehow knew where right there was. Now command this ankle to line up with the word of God. I command this ankle to line up with the word of God in Jesus' name. And his ankle was instantly and suddenly, he was healed. He let me know. He walked around walking and leaping and praising God. Let me tell you what I did. And I think a lot of us do this. I falsely attributed 
to the sovereignty of God, something that should have been attributed to my doubt. Jesus said, if you have faith and do not doubt, not just faith that God can, but faith that God will. If you have faith and do not doubt, folks, we attribute a lot to the sovereignty of God, things that we probably should attribute to our doubt. And here's how that often manifests. And we mean well. I think every person that asks this question means well. We read the Bible and we see something God has done and then we look at our life and we ask the question, is it God's will? And we base that often off the prayer of Jesus when he was about to go to the cross, he's in Gethsemane and he says, Father, if, you know, uh, if it's possible, if this cup, this, this cross, this whole thing I'm about to go through, the separation from your presence, if this could pass for me, I'd really like that. Then he finishes with, but not my will, but yours be done. And never has a single passage of scripture been taken more out of context in my mind and applied than that one. That every time I pray and ask something in the name of Jesus, and then it doesn't happen, we say, it must not be the will of God. That's often what happens to people. Been there and done that myself, so I'm not judging. Here's the funny thing. Jesus' statement about your will be done, not mine, the ironic thing about it is he absolutely knew what the will of God was in that moment. In fact, over and over again, he declared why he had come. He had come to save us from our sins and die on the cross. He knew that. And what happens when a mountain gets in our way is we have to ask the question, did that mountain get there by the sovereignty of God? Did it get there by the will of man? Did it get there by a, a poor leaders in the nation's? Or did it get there by some kind of combination of those things? Did the devil do it? Why does this matter? Because if you believe, Jesus said, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, if you doubt for a second that something is the will of God, in that moment, it's gonna be very hard for you to keep pressing on. Whether it's a healing, whether it's, you know, uh, and let me say this, that, that's, Jesus made a statement. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Let me tell you what he didn't say. According to the sovereignty of God, be it unto you. That's really important for us to understand. I believe God is sovereign. So how does that work, Jimmy? I believe the sovereign God created multiple areas of life that have this thing called stewardship, which is why we're judged when it's all said and done. We're judged how we manage our lives. We're judged by the words we say. Jesus said every idle word that men speak will be brought into judgment. He tells us to take captive our thoughts. Why? Because he understands its impact on our stewardship. And I believe that in the sovereignty of God, God created these things for us to steward. And so we can steward something well, which is why he uses the parable of the talents to talk about investment, being entrusted with something, and what's the return on investment he gets. And we can do something poorly where we don't do that very well. And so the bottom line is, is that within the sovereignty of God, God is the one who instituted this faith thing. Jesus, not one time did he walk up and say, you're right, that, that person not getting healed, that was the will of God. Not one time. Show me the text. You're not going to find it. It doesn't exist. He never says, according to the sovereignty of God, be it unto you. But he says over and over again, according to your faith, where is your faith? Oh, I've never seen such great faith like this. If you work... Um, I always say this, by the way, I was going to say, between, uh, the, between what God can do and what God will do is the wrestling match. And so 
When people come to work here at Lifeway Church, we have staff. We've got about uh, 15 people that interact with us regularly here. And as a visionary, I'm, I'm a naturally a faith guy. I see things through the lens of faith, believing possibilities and what God can do. Now, I'm not, I'm not unlimited in that. I have my own limitations in my faith. God, Jesus has got me in his own gym, helping me grow. But I want to say this. If a person comes to work here at Lifeway and I cast a vision, it's not uncommon in the early days for people to begin to question, how can we, like, that's not going to work or that will never work because, and they'll say stuff like this. And these are mind-closing statements when we make those statements. And so it's often, almost every member of staff at some point has heard me say, you don't get to tell the visionary that we're not going to do something. What you get to tell me is, you can ask this question, how are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? Those open up our minds to begin to seek God. Lord, we believe you want us to do this. How are we doing it? When my brother-in-law's ankle was broken and I, just, I had made up my mind, oh, God doesn't want to do this, he most certainly wasn't going to do it. When I said, Lord, why won't you do it? I will do it. How will you do it was basically the big idea. That's the faith-opening question. Now, there's a lot of ways God can do stuff. And, and whether, it's, whether it's through uh, medical means, physically healing people, when we're talking about healing, uh, when it's starting a business or receiving funds, he can cause people to supernaturally walk, be led by the Holy Spirit. Hey, I feel led to give you this. Or he can cause you to work for your money and all kinds of things. There's a lot of ways God can do it when we start asking the way, how do you want to do this? But the moment we start shutting God down by not believing that he can't do it, will not do it, that shuts down the whole process. I hope that made sense. Let me, ask, let me say, ask you this question. What if it's not a broken ankle that needs healed, but a broken marriage? What if it's not a broken ankle, but a, but a broken business or a broken addiction? Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want to? I know you want to heal this marriage. How do you want to do it? Lord, I know you want to set this person free from this addiction. How do you want to do it? And then we begin to speak. You listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. Maybe it'll be similar to what I said. He says, command that marriage to line up with the word of God in Jesus' name. I command this marriage to line up with the word of God in Jesus' name. I break off the friction and the assignment of disunity that's against us. I speak unity and peace over my staff. I pray peace and unity in Jesus' name. Maybe you're a business owner. Over lack. Lord, we break off this, this assignment of, of lack in Jesus' name. It's attack against our finances. And we speak faith in the release of your provision in Jesus' name. And, it, and on and on it goes. You can apply this to just about any situation that's an obstacle. But let me say this. You need to actually do this stuff and not just hear messages about it. As a, as a pastor, I've taught stuff here. And I just got to wonder, because people come back to me saying the same thing. Well, did you do the last thing I taught you? Did you ask God, did you get faith for your marriage? Did you get faith for your finances? Did you get faith for your business? Now, are you doing, listen, you're not doing what Pastor Jimmy told you. Are you doing what Lord Jesus Christ told you? People say, that's that name it and claim it stuff. Uh, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Deal with it. Jesus said, Jesus is the one who said, speak to, have you done what Jesus said? I speak to this circumstance, change in Jesus' name to align with God's will. You have to actually say it. Words need to come out of your mouth that match the faith that's in your heart. Listen, there's a huge difference between wishing something will happen and willing it to happen. I love when the, this leper comes up to Jesus. He's totally afflicted with leprosy. He comes up and says, Lord, this is Matthew chapter eight, Lord, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. You can heal me of my leprosy. I love Jesus' response. He just looks at him and says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And he's instantly healed. 
Start with that. Wouldn't it be cool if you take the, the leprosy of your life, well, let's make that symbolic of all the issues you're facing. Lord, if you are willing, you can, and then see what he'll say. See what God might say to you. Lord, if you are willing, you can. I, just, I have to believe more often than not, he's gonna say, I am willing, be cleansed. If he's willing to, if, if, if it's okay to curse a fig tree as an example to the disciples, if, if he could say willy-nilly, you can tell this mountain to go into the sea if you have faith in your heart. And whatever things you ask for in prayer, believing, you'll receive. Whatever, man, whatever is a pretty big blank check. Anybody disagree with that statement? That's a big statement. So how does that fit? Well, how am I going to know what the will, how do I know, like last week's message, surrender to God and surrender in the circumstance versus change it? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you brought that up. Relationship with God is how you figure that out. And there is no other way. There's so many people want to get to, I've known people who've taken that very verse I read to you and they turn it into this little magic formula. If I say all the right stuff, I command this to happen in Jesus' name, but they don't have the relationship. The Bible should forever settle that with an ax. There was, Paul the apostle had been kicking out demons and healing people and doing the things that God called him to do. And some other Jewish itinerant exorcists decided to do the same thing. And so they came upon some people and they say, we command you, demon, come out of this man in the name of Jesus. Listen, whom Paul preaches. Well, the demon came out all right. And he said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but I don't know you. And he beat them to a pulp. Now, here's the point. The key is not invoking the right message and saying the right stuff. We sang today, there is power in the name of Jesus. Yes, there is. The name of Jesus represents his authority in his entire person. But the people who can invoke that are the ones that are in a covenant relationship with him. Does that make sense? I hope you t- guys are talking online. Talk to, talk to my team online. Tell, tell us you're, you're getting this stuff, if it's making sense. I am willing to be cleansed. So that's for you to believe, you need to believe that it can and will change. The second thing is you need to see the situation, listen to this, as already changed. When Jesus taught this, he makes this amazing statement. I tell you, you could pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, past tense. So you could pray for something present tense, and if you believe that you've received it past tense, it will be yours future tense. That is the craziest little teaching, and yet I think I get it. I, I read this passage many times, and I honestly didn't understand it. Like I, I, so my, my kind of method would be, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm with you in this. Lord, I pray, and I believe that I've received it, and, 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 you know, and I would say, make statements like, you've got to see it before you see it, but this never became truer to me than when I went through a course called the Serving Leader Course with a man named John Stalwart. I go through the six months of training and there are long days of training when we do this and once a month we meet for like six to eight hours and, and, and it's deep intensive stuff and I didn't have a church yet. I didn't have a business. It was normally business people who were in here but I didn't have any kind of industry to build this off of like the others. I had to make it all up in my head as I went based upon the vision I believe God was giving me. We get to the end of the assignment. Our last assignment is to, to stand up in front of our peers and give a presentation In the presentation, we were supposed to have imagined a year and a half after the 18 months to two years after the serving leader training course, what had happened in that time period since we left. So I had to basically make up a fiction story in my mind of how I planned, how I recruited my team, how we got, and then by the end of that down the line, it would be like, 
uh, hey, there's, uh, you know, and I, so I made up some numbers. I was totally like, yeah, so we were gone 18 months. And since I left this, I even made up impediments. We had some difficulty uh, at first, you know, getting people to buy into the vision and then, and then raising the funds. And we raised $200,000 and had uh, 200 uh, people at, at launch day. And, and in that time period, 18 months later, we've seen 400 people come to Christ. Well, here's the strange thing. That little fiction story became a reality. That is exactly what happened to Lifeway Church. And I declared it 18 months before it happened. How did that work? I think John accidentally tapped something in this believer in Jesus Christ. John made me see it already done. I had to mentally see it done, listen, before I could actually see it done. We've talked many times here about how the building that we're standing in started with a set of blueprints. The house that you're in right now started with a blueprint. If you're driving in a car right now, it started with a blueprint. At some point, it starts with a design. You have to see it before you can actually begin to build it. And the question we're asking with this exercise is what does it look like done? Why am I bringing this up? Historically, obstacles lead to innovation. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but like the TV, the, TV, the radio, the phonograph, the, uh, you know, so the, the old, old school record players, the telegraph, the telephone, um, and on, on and on all the list goes. The paper clip, for crying out loud, at some point, something, an obstacle led to that thing being invented. In fact, we will often say in our culture, necessity is the mother of invention. And, and, and I guess the question um, I have for you is, I think that during this time of shut-in, there are, there are things that the Lord has spoken to you that he would love to see fulfilled. Um, it could be writing a book, starting a business. I don't know what the endeavor is, but let's use those two for example. If I was gonna write a book today, I would start with what was the book, and I, and I walked through John's exercise 18 months from now when that book is done and it's already sold, you got it done in a year, and it's already sold to some people, what was the impact of that book? How did it impact people's lives? In what way did it impact their lives? What kind of things did you have to say to them to help them? Notice I'm asking every one of those questions past tense. I'm asking it in the idea of believing that we've already received it. Does that make sense? Starting with the business. What did my business do? What was the outcome on the customer after 18 months of existence or two years of existence? What was its impact? What kind of staff do I have during that time, do, time period? Do they love coming to work every day? And that's its own kind of vision. So we start with believing what God can do. We start to believe that he will do it. Then we pray for it. Then we believe that we have received it. Lord, I'm asking for you to anoint me to write this book. Believe that you received it. What's it look like? How does it function? What did it do? Are you following me? My business, same thing, praying those things through. That's the second exercise. First exercise, believe that God can and will do, will change your circumstance, that, that you can change it. The second thing is to believe, uh, I'm sorry, so you need to see the situation as already changed. The third exercise is to exercise your faith. You need to do what Jesus says will cause the change. I love what Jesus says here in that same passage, in the passage we looked at. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this, and much more. You can even say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. And then you can even say. Here's the point about the even say part. 
The saying is directly connected to what you're believing inside your heart. And often, people, when they're reflexively talking, you hear their faith all the time. Oh, this is hopeless. Oh, we can never do this. Man, and they speak all this just death over themselves. They don't speak possibility. What would it take, if, say you're financially struggling and you think God's called you to be a person who's generous and give to the kingdom. What would it take for me to become a millionaire? What are the steps I would need to take? Instead of saying, I could never be that. Why? What determines what you can do except God? As you discover your purpose. At the end of the day, we want you to know Christ. We want you to discover purpose and we want you to impact lives. Discovering purpose isn't you, you trying to find your purpose. It's discovering the purpose that you were already created to accomplish. God already has one for you. You're just discovering it. You're leaning into it. You're, just, you're finding out what it is. But there's two things that Jesus says. You need to do what Jesus says will cause the change. So it's one thing to believe it, but then there's action steps. So it's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to see that you've received it. Then, it's, then you've got to begin to take the steps to move toward the very thing that you believe. And this is where innovation happens. This is where possibility happens. This is where new ideas happen because faith, he says here, speaks. If you believe and don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, you speak, you do something. Then faith acts. Faith takes action. In fact, let me say this. James said it so well in his writings. In the book of James, faith without works is dead. It's, every, people can tell me, I believe God does this. Well, then show me your work. Show me your faith by your works. Even when Jesus was healing people, what he would say, take up your bed. To the guy who's paralyzed, take up your bed and walk. Like receive what I'm saying, this declaration that's coming out of my mouth and do something. Take up your bed and walk. He tells another guy's hands withered, stretch out your hand. How am I doing that? It's been, whoa, you know, he just begins to stretch out his hand. He takes an action step. A woman's bent over with this affliction. She can't, or, or what, maybe she's got scoliosis. Who knows what it was, but they just said she was bent over. He said it was a spirit. He cast the spirit out. He said, stand up straight. And she just stands up straight. Action, there's always action where there's real faith. And honestly, for some of us, our actions are already showing our faith. We show it again by the things we say, by the things we do. Listen, I'm not trying to be heartless. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to help you. I actually want, want you to get healed. Some of you struggle with depression because of things you believe. And when you change what you believe about your circumstance, suddenly your depression lifts. I mean, literally, chemically, and all kinds of things happen inside you when you believe and agree with God. But when you listen to lies and things that promote fear, you, like a lie isn't something that's just not true. It's an alternate reality you can believe in and it has, a, has an impact on your heart. When you believe the truth, it's God's reality for your life and it impacts your heart. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, the Bible's very clear at the end of it all, when Jesus returns, God's reality is what's going to stand. When it came to church planting, after I saw it, at some point I had to get out there and begin to tell people, speak. Hey, I believe God's called me to plant a church. I did this for a couple years. Then I began to, that was speaking. Then I began to do stuff. Hey, we're going to have interest meetings. I want you to come gather. I want to cast the vision to you. Then people began to buy into the vision. Action began to happen. Faith began to get contagious. People began to partner together. And we stand today in a congregation of people that last time we were together stood around 800 people. Right now, I don't know how many of you are online, but last week we had about 1,800 people 
watch the broadcast, there are probably at least 3,600 lives that are being impacted. Why? Because somebody, because I got a vision for faith, because my wife caught the vision, because my team caught the vision, and we're, and we're here today doing the things that started out as just, I believe God can, to now watching God do. When Jessica was a child, she's probably about six years old, something like that, we used to live at this uh, house that had a, a big farm next to it. And we had this big fence line that we, and, and, and the neighbors had moved away. They'd gone away for like a year and they were trying to get some renters, but they had weeds. Like there are weeds that get like thick, like baby trees. You know what I'm talking about? Sapling, I'm talking weeds that are like, they got some roots. They don't get this tall without getting a root structure about as tall as well, right? Something like that. Anyway, Jessica was in, the, in that little field with me and I was, I was leaning on the fence and she was there playing and she began to pull on this one weed. She pulled on it and pulled on it and and, and she looked at me and says, I said, she said, it won't, it won't go. I can't pull it out, basically. She said, it won't go, but I knew what she meant. I can't pull it out. And I said, hey, why don't you try that again? And so she grabbed it. I said, wait a second, I'll tell you when to pull. And she said, she was hanging on to it. I said, okay, pull. And she began to pull and nothing was happening. And I said, I command that weed to be uprooted now in Jesus' name. And as soon as I said name, it got done. She goes, and she goes moving back like that. Now, I tell that story. Some of you are gonna wonder, was it the multiple attempts that she pulled on it that caused it? Was it a coincidence? Or did something actually happen in response to my faith and my relationship with Jesus in Jesus' name? But isn't that the nature of faith? See, faith, you're gonna want, want a bunch of evidence. The evidence is in God himself. Faith is the evidence of something unseen. It is the substance of the thing that we're hoping for. Does that make sense? All right, you need to believe God can and will do it. You need to see it already completed. And then you need to, do, you need to take action steps to do something um, about it. I'm gonna tell you the first action step all of us need to take. I'm talking to the Christians today and I'm talking to non-Christians. To the Christians today, you need to commit, well to all of us today, you need to commit to the trainer and his training. For Christians, you need to get back in the gym of obstacles, those mountains, and you need to begin lifting those things in faith. That marriage you gave up on, begin to speak to it, begin to pray for it, begin to believe to it. That friendship that's not working, that, that social dysfunction maybe in a team that you're on, believe that God can change it. That book you haven't written, get in the training with Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe you called me to it. Show me what it looks like. Show me what it looks like done. And then I'll take the action steps to begin to step out and do it. That health goal that you have, that you've given up on, God knows I need to reset some during COVID. Hello. He wants to help you. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to, op I want to tell you the statement that Jesus opened with. It's a simple statement. When they said, teacher, that's amazing. That miracle you did, it's awesome. Here's what he said. Have faith in God. For I tell you, and he finished all that stuff I just talked about to this message, follows that first statement. Have faith in God. Have faith that Jesus died for you, that he rose again. Have faith that if you believe in him, your sins will be forgiven. 
Oh, you can call your sins sin. You can call them mistakes. You can call them your regrets. They'll be wiped out. He'll forgive them. And he'll become your trainer. And he'll take you into this gym of faith where you begin to exercise that faith. You know, faith is the currency of heaven. And the reason we live in so much fear is it's based upon the idea that we're actually controlling our circumstances. And we're not. We're ultimately, we have control over a very small amount. And as long as I have faith that I'm in control, that, that facade of my own personal control, then I'm going to have a measure of fear that goes with it, depending upon what I believe about my ability to control it. If I have faith that God is in control and that he's my trainer and that he's the one leading me through this, I can face death with confidence. And some of you, that's, God wants to remove the fear of death, the fear of eternity as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're hearing me in the sound of my voice, I'm gonna ask everybody in the room where you're at, wherever you're at, give each other grace. Stop what you're doing. And I mean it. Stop what you're doing. Bow your head. Close your eyes and give the people around you an opportunity. Don't assume they know Jesus just because they watch church or been to church. And give them a chance to say yes to Jesus right now. With every head in those rooms bowed and eyes closed. If, if you're there today, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you right there in that room because it's never been about the room. It's been about the response to heaven. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand to Jesus right there in that room. Jesus, I receive you right now. You see us in church, we worship like this. I'm always raising two hands saying I receive Jesus. Raising your hand as a sign, two hands as a sign of surrender. But whether you raise one or two, you're surrendering to Jesus' leadership in your life. Say, I say yes to you, Jesus. I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. Do that right now. Say, God, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I ask you to, to strengthen me in the gym of your faith. I want to be a person who lives and is able to live by faith, who lives with hope, who, who, who uh, accomplishes kingdom impact and realities because I follow you. I surrender to you. I want my, my life to be about your kingdom. And I want to fulfill the purpose you have for my life. And I confess today that I believe you can do anything. And I believe through my life, you're going to do amazing things. Come on, that's important for you to say that right where you're at. In fact, I would say to the church, if you know Jesus, say that I, I believe you can do anything. And I believe that you will do amazing things through my life. I break off every curse that I've spoken over myself. I break off uh, the lies that I'm, that I'm not gonna accomplish much in Jesus' name. And I declare, I will fulfill every purpose you have for me. And I ask you to give me grace to see the end from the beginning and then to take the action steps necessary to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.